Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're going to get back into kind of a more normal Buckeye Talk after our fake draft last week. Um, we have a bunch of questions sort of about the team, about the program we're going to answer. Some are from you guys. Some just popped out of our heads. Uh, this is Doug Lamarice, Bill Landis, Nori Wasserman, your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team. Read us every day. Right? You guys read us every day. Cleveland.com. I read it every day. So oh, I read so it every day. You no, know, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're all up there with uh, Cleveland Browns draft. So. I don't I know. Don't, There's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> I don't read a lot. Um, Cleveland.com slash OSU. You can get us on Buckeye Talk. You can find us on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. It's the easiest way to do it. Um, or you can find us when we post here. So, listen, we got some questions from you guys, and we're going to get right to the first one. Um, like I said, we're going to do some of our own, but this is one that popped up as, as soon as the NFL draft ended. Some people were asking about this. I think it is a very interesting question. I will be very curious to hear what Bill and Ari have to say. We got this question from Nelly 97 our man with the Eric Davis avatar on uh, Twitter. Nelly asks, does JT Barrett get drafted next year? If so, what Round. I feel like Ginelli asked Boys. that question the second the draft ended. I know. He asked it again when I called for questions, but yeah, I think he's put it out there. I don't think he's the only Ohio State fan who wants that question answered, though. Um, I mean, right now, I, I, I'd say he won't get drafted. I don't know how you could say he would. Um, they poke and prod you, man, and, and we all know that. And JT Barrett has a lot of holes in this game. I think he's a really good college quarterback. I think he's going to be much better next year than he was the last two seasons, but he doesn't have an NFL arm. He doesn't have NFL size. He's not the kind of dynamic athlete running the ball that would make you overlook those things and draft him. So right now, I don't see how you could draft him. I don't think he's a draftable quarterback. I agree. I don't really know what I could say. I don't know how I could add to that. I think that the number one knocks on him are probably arm strength and size, right? And accuracy right now, too, and, which is like that. Like Cody Kessler got drafted in the third round because he's crazy accurate without the strongest arm. and. I, Two years ago, if you would have said that Barrett's going to get drafted based on his accuracy, or after 2014, I would have said, yeah, that makes sense to me, but he has not been accurate the last two years. Not to say he can't get it back, but if you were, we are to assume that he's not going to be the 2014 quarterback that he was, then in my mind, he's not draftable, unless he changes. I agree. I don't know. Does that... I feel like it's. I hate to be that cut and dry about it. Maybe there's more discussion to be that's had. The, though, I mean, but I, I think that's the answer. I mean, I, I don't know. Doug, do you think that? I don't think he'll be drafted at this point. At this point, the JT Barrett, if JT Barrett, and there had been like some talk right after the bowl game of whether he would leave, I don't think it was ever really serious. I think he obviously made the right decision to come back. Um, if he had gone pro, he would not have been drafted. Clearly. Like, which is fine. Which is like, you know, stuff happens. It doesn't mean you're a bad player if you don't get drafted. Do you guys know how many quarterbacks were drafted in this 2017 NFL draft? Uh, I'll just guess and say seven. Ten. Oh, wow. So what we're talking about, he's clearly not in the Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, Davis Webb group, which is uh, uh, the first five quarterbacks off the board. The guy who's like interesting is C.J. Beathard, who was drafted out of Iowa. And I was kind of shocked when I saw that. I mean, if you read what people are saying about that, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, who's the guy who picked him, is a guy who was influential in the Kirk Cousins drafting in Washington. He keeps making C.J. Beathard, Kirk Cousins comparisons. Um, honestly, I'm not sure that – I mean, I guess that comparison probably goes beyond white guy from the Big Ten, but people are so bad about lumping quarterbacks together. I'm yeah. not sure it goes much beyond white guy from the Big Ten. So congratulations <laughs> on drafting a white guy from the Big Ten. Um, I don't know that C.J. Beathard is an NFL quarterback, but they seem to like him. Um, Joshua Dobbs, Dobbs – Nathan Peterman, Brad Kaya, Chad Kelly were the end of the draft. Listen, Brad Kaya was like a big quarterback prospect who went in the sixth round. And so, like, I just don't see JT Barrett. He's listed at 6'2", 220. Um, Josh, jo- Josh Dobbs is listed at 6'3", 216. He went in the fourth round. Bethard is listed at 6'3", 219. So, listen, he's in that range of size, right? But he doesn't have the arm strength, and he certainly was not accurate last year, which is, again, what basically what you guys said. You can't have both those be wrong. <laughs> right. You have to either have a big arm, and you need to improve your accuracy, or you have to have not a great arm, but you're super accurate. Like, if you have trouble with both, it's just not going to happen. So let me throw out a wrinkle before we move on to a different question. 
Could JT Barrett play a different position in the NFL? He said after the spring game, because he called a pass from Mike Weber in the spring game, and he said the last time I called a pass was when I was an H-back as a sophomore at Ryder High School um, in Wichita Falls, Texas. And I didn't know that. I didn't know he played slot receiver. Um, maybe. I don't – I mean, and I said this before. Like, he runs like a running back, I think, when he runs the ball. So, if he wants to take a f- chance on being in a pro football player in a different position, other guys have done it. I think he might have a better shot of doing that than he does at making it as a quarterback. Listen, and, and again, I'm going to – lots of people want to change black quarterbacks to other positions at the NFL. I don't know why. You don't – like – that's not usually a conversation with white quarterbacks. It's, I mean, never, other than Tebow. So Braxton Miller changed positions in the NFL. Greg Ward, who was a quarterback at Houston, was Tom Herman's quarterback at Houston. He's now trying to be a receiver in the NFL. Um, a lot of these guys don't get shots in the NFL at quarterback that white guys get. I mean, I'm just, I'm that's, just that's facts. spitting fire. Yeah. Like, okay, it's real. So I'm not moving JT Barrett to quarterback. I mean, I'm not going to say he should move to another position because he's black. I'm saying... And because people get lumped in unfairly. I have arm strength questions. I have arm questions. Everything else, I mean, like, he, he does everything. Processing, leading. Obviously, he runs a spread at Ohio State. I absolutely, there's no question he could run whatever offense you want him to run. But going back to the weenie arm comment from two years ago, when he sort of got mad about people talking about his arm strength, I don't know if he can make all the NFL throws. And that's just a realistic thing in the arm strength thing. Tom Herman talked about it early in JT Barrett's career. I mean, this has been a thing for JT Barrett since he got to college. Nobody ever said he came in with a rifle. So that's something that guys needed to work on. And if you're not going to have that, and you can only make your arms so much stronger, if you're not going to have that and have that be great, he needs to get it to be okay, then you must be super accurate. And the JT Barrett we saw, at least in the second half of last year, was not super accurate. I don't know if I would lump him into the same category with Braxton Miller and Greg Ward. Uh, those guys, I thought, were super freaky athletic. I mean, yeah, and Lamar thing. Jackson's going to get lumped in like that yeah. as a super freaky athlete who people are going to want to move out of the quarterback. And like JT just does not play the quarterback position the way that those three guys played it. He's I don't think it's even like close. Tebow. I agree. Yeah. Those guys were like run all over the field, make people miss. I can't really think a lot of has JT Barrett ever made anybody miss. Oh, usually and that's not a over. knock on it. He runs people over, and that's why we have the Tebow comparison. And it's like we don't want to lump people in with the same types of of quarterbacks just based on their skin color, like we mentioned. But like he is not somebody that would play slot receiver in the league. I think that's crazy. I, don't I can't think, even picture it at all. Here's my: I don't think he could be a slot receiver because he doesn't have that shiftiness. Is he even fast enough? Could he be a tailback? Like, uh, what's he hand, like, 220 pounds? Could you hand him the – could he be like LeGarrette Blunt? I, I mean, don't know. I'm like, not making JT Barrett out to be like some giant guy, but he has a big lower body. He's kind of got like a big butt and big legs. He's got great vision when he's running the ball. And like, he's really clear. powerful. Yeah. Powerful and vision is like his like main two – And like I was like crazy shocked when Denard Robinson made it in the league as a running back just based on his size. But Denard Robinson was really, really fast, and that was kind of his dynamic ability. I think if JT Barrett were to play any other position, it would have is to this, be running back. I cannot – Tell me if this is – I know what comparison you're about to make. Go ahead. Michael Robinson? That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh. He, Former Penn State quarterback who had a decently decent-sized career in the NFL. Yeah, as a, he won a Super Bowl ring with the Seahawks, and he was basically a fullback. Um, and I know the fullback has kind of gone out of style, but I don't think Barrett would have to be that. It's just, it's just to say that it's happened. Like, a, Michael Robinson was not the most dynamic athlete in the world. Wasn't a great thrower, was a good, powerful runner as a quarterback, which is how I would describe JT Barrett. And then he called him in the league as a running back and had a decent career, made a lot of money, won a Super Bowl. Michael Robinson, 6'1", 225. Garrett Blunt's a lot bigger. He's like yeah, 250. Yeah. Um, Garrett Blunt's like the biggest so running back in the league. Michael Robinson, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, played eight years in the NFL, um, gained 422 total rushing yards in that time, gained 610 total yards on the ground. So he played eight years and gained like 1,000 yards in eight years, but I know he was like a good special teams player, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I mean, eight years in the NFL is nothing to sneeze at, man. That's so funny. What does NFL stand for? 
Not for long. <laughs> but now, so JT Barrett can listen to this podcast and his family can listen to this podcast and he can hang it on his wall and go out and prove everybody wrong. We're just saying, like, from what he did, from where he is right now, I don't think he can throw it well enough to get drafted. So, do you I think, think we agree with that? I mean, can is it out there for him to play well enough to get drafted as a quarterback next year? I think if he's super accurate, yeah. it is. If he's super accurate and lets it go and is comfortable and makes – it's like, again, if he plays the Michigan State 2014 game, I mean, the Michigan State 2014 game was a guy who you would look at. You know, I mean, yeah. he's never going to be – He's never going to be a first-rounder, right? I mean, he's no, never going to no, be no, no, no. Uh, Deshaun Watson or Mahomes or Trubisky. Um, but that's okay. But if you could, if like you feel like you can make every throw and process and lead a team and do all that stuff, um, again, the Russell Wilson comparison is the easy comparison that everybody makes to every undersized quarterback. I mean, obviously, that's his absolute top end. That's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. But, but that's a guy who can make plays – when he's under pressure, get out of the pocket and make a play. But in, in the pocket, I think you've got to make throws. And so he's got to do that. So I don't think it's impossible, no. Yeah, I agree. But and Russell Wilson wasn't a first-round pick. Russell Wilson was a third-round third round pick. Third round pick yeah. you know? um, all right, so are we good on the JT Barrett discussion? I think we nailed it. I think we nailed it? All right, yeah. question number two. We're making up ourselves. Um, but we like this one. We are already into 2018 mock draft season. We'll let Bill run through this a little bit. We He already rounded up what some of the people are saying about some Ohio State guys. So uh, the question we're going to answer is, who will be the first Ohio State Buckeye drafted in 2018? And this comes under the umbrella, again, of a story that Bill already put out there. They have 19 draft picks now in the last two years. The record over a three-year span is 30. 29 is the record. 29 is the record. 30, 30 would, would be, break it. Yeah. So they need 10 draft picks next year to tie it, 11 to break it. Yeah. Um, so Bill sort of laid this out. You can find it on Cleveland.com, like the guys who are in the running for that, seniors, and then again the the guys who will be juniors in the fall and the redshirt sophomores who would at least enter the discussion of this. And again, in a world where Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore went from one-year starters as underclassmen to into the draft and taken in the top 15, you have to be alert for this kind of stuff. Um who are the names that people are putting out there so far as potential first-round picks next year? Okay, some of these were surprising, I thought. Um, and I looked at just at a couple of early mock drafts. Uh, Tyquan Lewis was a name that came up um, as a top half of the first-round projection. Sam Hubbard, the same. Uh, Jerome Baker was a surprising one. Uh, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report had him at number 17 overall. And to the team, it doesn't really matter because no one knows the NFL standings are going to be next year. Um, Draymond Jones... Matt Miller had him at number 22, which I thought, like, I, his name didn't even cross my mind, but I was thinking about guys for next year who go go in the first round, let alone be drafted. Denzel Ward um, was a projected first rounder by a couple guys. Dane Brugler, who we reference a lot from CBS Sports, had Ward as the number five overall corner heading into next season. Um, Dante Booker popped up in uh, a second round of a mock draft, and then I think he was... And he was a second round of one mock draft, and then Dane Brugler had him listed as a edge rusher to watch, which was also interesting. We can get in, get into that maybe if we want to. Paris Campbell was listed in, a, in the second round of a mock draft, and then Billy Price uh, was listed in the second round of one mock draft, and then Dane Brugler had Billy Price as his number one overall interior offensive lineman for next year. All right, so who do you guys think will be the first Buckeye drafted? I think it's between two people. And I think that there's a large margin or a large gap between these two players and the rest of the Ohio State players mentioned. And those two players are Jerome Baker and Billy Price. Yeah, I think I agree with that. We talked about this right before we started recording. The Sam Hubbard stuff I don't quite understand. And not to say he's, he would have been drafted. Had he entered the draft this year, he decided to come back. If he would have went in the 2017 NFL draft, somebody would have taken him possibly on day two. Maybe he could have been a late third round pick. I don't know. He's a freak athlete, and I think we forget that sometimes. Um, but as a, like the top possible edge rusher in the draft class next year, that seems a little high for me for a guy. I don't, I don't think we've quite seen that. And we're talking about, like like you said, Ari, Miles Garrett was like Joey Bosa. Like is Sam Hubbard that? He's not that, right? No, I, th- I think he gets a little bit of a reflection of the Bosa Jr. stuff that people are um, – applying that to him. And I think he just needs to be more, I mean, again, it's not an insult to say you're not as good as Joey Bosa, who is the best football player of the Urban Meyer era. And honestly, Joey, Joey Bosa is, Joey Bosa, I think is one of the 10 best players in Ohio State football history. 
And I'm going to write that down as for something to do this summer. Um, I mean, honestly, I mean, they've had six Heisman winners or whatever. And, and a lot, I mean, this guy was like a two time unanimous All American and the number three pick in the draft and like a keystone of a national championship team. Like, so anyway, he needs to show more to be that, right? I mean, that Sam Hubbard, yeah. I, I think Sam Hubbard, again, he got all the tools and the NFL drafts on tools. I just think he needs to show a little more to be th- that level and to not be a guy who's talked about really well and a year from now. I mean, Raekwon McMillan was picked in the 50s, right? He was picked 58 or 54. Yeah. Raekwon McMillan was picked 54. We know Sam Hubbard has a lot of tools. Like, Raekwon McMillan has a ton of tools too. Mm-hmm. And I know edge rusher might be more valuable than middle linebacker, but I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm not going to say that Sam Hubbard's going to be a first-round pick when Ray Cole McMillan went at 54. Because we- right now, I okay, if you want to tell me Sam Hubbard's going to go in the 50s, I'll buy it. I don't think he, to me he's not a first-rounder right now. Let's just do the thing that Doug started on this podcast, which is the Say It Bluntly podcast. What's the biggest play Sam Hubbard has made in his Ohio State career that you can come up with off the top of your head? I mean, it's probably and maybe give them a like ten seconds. You yeah, know, like I think mean, about we know, it. We know what we think it is, and we discussed it already. Yeah. But Joey Bosa had fifty of them. I think the, the trap that is easy to fall into is reading too much into production, especially at Ohio State's defensive end position, where Sam Hubbard's on the field for forty snaps a game and not a hundred snaps a game, like a lot of top end defensive ends are, because they're the best player on their team and they have to be on the field that much. Um, Sam Hubbard had six and a half sacks last year. That's nothing to sneeze at in my mind. And I think if he were to have another season where he has six, seven, eight sacks, and we're like, well, you're not like you're not a first round defensive end. It's more than that. And I agree, he hasn't flashed. And you can tell when a guy flashes like a Joey Bosa flashes. Um, but I think it's possible maybe that we're looking too hard for something we're just not going to find and because that's not the way Ohio State uses its defensive. And it's also just, I don't know. To me, first round NFL draft pick equals flash. And I know that that was like what you just said. I thought was really interesting, but in my mind, it's that's those are the, there's a correlation between those two things. Did Marshawn Lattimore flash like like really really flash for you last year? Yeah, I mean that pick six he had in the uh, was it the Oklahoma game? I don't know if it was a pick six. It was a pick six. six. It was a hell of an interception. Closed the gap. Yeah. And, and there are certain things that I see what you're saying, and like I think we need to stop comparing him to Joey Bosa because Joey Bosa had a million of them, mm-hmm. and as Doug said, write that column down, find a pen. Yeah, I what got it for. Um. But some flash, right? Something. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I'm not disagreeing. He's, a, he's been a productive, like, solid yeah, yeah, player, yeah. but he wasn't just like – I don't picture Sam Hubbard as the blow past the left tackle of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and sack somebody. You know what I mean? I don't um, know. Honestly, to be – so I think we, we weren't sure what kind of player Tyquan Lewis was when he led the team in sacks in 2015 playing on the opposite end spot from Joey Bosa, right? Sam Hubbard was the third end that year. So going into 2016, I think any of us would have been open to the idea of who's the best defensive, who's going to be the best defensive end on this Ohio State team. We all might have guessed Sam Hubbard mm-hmm. before last season. But as we sit here now, the answer to who was the best defensive end on Ohio State's team last year, what's the answer to that question? The defensive, the Big, Big Ten, Ten defensive, defensive lineman of the year, year Tyquan Lewis. And that was not a, I don't think that was a misplaced award or whatever. Like I thought Tyquan Lewis Flat, like again, I and you I, wrote something about I how, never wrote it. Oh, you didn't? I, know, oh. I have it in my pocket still. It's like an eighteen-month-old story. Taekwon Lewis in big games made big plays at big moments, time and time again. Yeah. So Taekwon Lewis is a guy now that it is some of these projections as a first rounder. But if Sam Hubbard, if we would have gone with what we thought Sam Hubbard might be, Sam Hubbard might have been that player. Might have been the Big Ten defensive. Lineman of the year last year, and maybe so, that's why we're holding him account. I mean, maybe yeah. that's. But like, the, the, here's he the question: have a bad year by any stretch. And again, I think it, yeah. can I just interject? We like sometimes we end up like talking bad about really good players. This is currently a discussion of a year from now. Will Sam Harbour be one of the 32 best college football players available for the draft? And, yeah. and that's if, all this is discussion. And if, it's, if you say no, that doesn't mean we're right. We're, so yeah, like I think he'll be drafted in the 50. Like I think he'll be the 53rd best, yeah. not one of the 32 best. That's an incredible accomplishment. JT Barrett is going to go down in Ohio State history. His his career at Ohio State is not going to be defined by what he is or isn't as an NFL player. But again, first round, I think you're making this point, Art. First round, first round. 
There's going to be a bunch of quarterbacks in the first round. There's You're a starter. Some crazy is. receivers, some corners. Like, you know, well, right now, if you drafted Sam Hubbard in the first round and said, Sam Hubbard, we need you to come in and, like, sort of change our defense at the NFL level, I don't think you would be that I'm, right now. I'm going to bring some noise here. Okay. Are you ready for this? Strap up. <laughs> is it conceivable, guys, that Sam Hubbard is the third best defensive end on his own team next year? I think it's conceivable that he's the fourth best. I like Jalen Holmes. I think Jalen Holmes. I mean, like, here's if you. I thought I was bringing the pain, and you then you thinking the exact same thing. That Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, and Sam Hubbard will all be drafted in the first two rounds next year. I don't do not think that's impossible. And Nick Bosa would if he were eligible. And Nick Bosa would go ahead of all of them if he were yeah. eligible. And I think the one thing I think we are a little bit doing is giving Nick Bosa some Joey Bosa-ness to him. Mm-hmm. He hasn't yeah, produced anywhere near the way that we talk about him. So when we're talking about production of Sam Hubbard, I think we need to make sure that we keep it fair. But and just because his last name's Bosa, I don't want to – but, like, there is a chance that given what we've heard about him, what we saw in the limited fashion last year, and the fact that people throughout his entire high school career said he was an advanced version of Joey Bosa, I think it's reasonable to anticipate there's a likelihood or a chance – that he could be a flashing defensive end next year that storms on to be one of the best players on the team. But Bosa, Bosa entering 2017, I feel like it's exactly where Sam Hubbard was entering 2016. And if, and if Bosa has the year in 2017 that Sam Hubbard had in 2016, that would be really good, right? But it wouldn't be quite what we thought. That's all. So, I mean, I, I agree. We're, we're, we know less about Bosa right now because he played part-time in his first year. Sam Hubbard played part-time as a redshirt freshman in 2015 and looked good doing that. Last year he was a starter, and he didn't change the face of Ohio State's defense. That's all. That's the, I mean, that's the, that's the level you're talking about with defensive ends. Now, here's the other thing, and we'll throw this in at the end before we move on and we take a final survey. If you ask me right now, who would you take, Taco Charlton or Sam Hubbard? I'd take Sam Hubbard. And yeah. Taco Charlton just went in the first round. Yeah, so, I'd take I, I, That's also Sam, – Sam, <laughs> Sam Hubbard as potentially the best pass rusher in the draft to me sounds crazy. Sam Hubbard, late first rounder, mid to late first rounder to me, does not sound that crazy. I don't know if it does to you guys. And I don't know. Is there is there a versatility factor here? He's no. going to – I don't think you don't there think is. there's I, with defensive ends. You mean which way? Meaning which like way? with Hubbard being able to maybe convert to something else. If he can actually like he play stand s- up and cover people, no. But that's not what they're taking him for. Whether you're whether you're an outside linebacker in a three four or a, or a defensive end in a four three, if they're taking you at that spot, they're taking you to be a pass rusher. You're a pass rusher. So whatever you want to call it, and, and it depends what your defense is. You know, I mean, like, but he is a stand up. He's a pass rusher. So. You know, whatever. If that requires him to be an outside linebacker in a 3-4, he certainly could do it. I mean, again, we've run through in the past all the different positions he played, including lacrosse player. So, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, if he's going to go in the first round, it's because can you get after the passer. So, um, Taco Charlton at Michigan was like a very average player his whole career who went nuts the second half of his last year. And all of a sudden rose up board. So, like, that's why I'm saying, like, that's a guy who it could happen didn't quickly. even put in a full year yeah. of being good. Put in like half a year. And that's not a sliding as Taco Charlton. You were just a first-round pick. I'm just saying, like, you know, we're kind of setting a high bar to be a first-rounder. But sometimes at the end of the first round, they do take reaches on guys who aren't perfect players. And all we can really go off of is what we've seen most recently. And that's also true for JT Barrett in the discussion we just had. Mm-hmm. We're talking about guys that we've watched their entire careers. And I don't know. Have there been a lot of players that have transformed and done something their junior or senior year that they hadn't done before, they just do a little bit better. I think Sam Hubbard just needs to do a little bit better. All right, so yeah. so that's our final guess. When we listen to this podcast a year from now, the first Ohio State player taken for locking in our guests will be? I'll go – I'll say Billy Price. Only uh, he's, he's the one I feel most confident about now saying that he'll be a first-round pick next year. Maybe he won't be the first one taken, but he's my guy right now. I would say Billy Price might be – the player most likely to be in the first round, I think there's no way he is the first Ohio State player taken. I mean, that's because I think somebody's going to flash ahead of him, and I'll say Jerome Baker. Yeah, Jerome Baker. It makes sense. And because, so, I mean, if maybe it is Sam Hubbard. Maybe it is Denzel Ward at corner. Maybe it is Paris Campbell turning into Curtis Samuel and going in the first round. As a, it's like, it's like, funny, because like, look at the first round. 
from this past year, if we would have done that this podcast two years ago, we would have been wrong on all three of them. Maybe, well, maybe not Conley, but we might have been wrong on the other three, other two. I wonder who we would have said, like McMillan, maybe. Probably. I think Raekwon would have yeah. been up there. Yeah, it would have been hard because they would have just lost ten guys in the first three rounds. Right. So we, it wouldn't have necessarily been obvious. I think Raekwon would have been the answer from all three of us, probably, because that would have been the most out. Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have known where else to go. So. Yeah, I mean, there's... We didn't even think Marshawn was going to be able to play. We didn't right. know that Malik Hooker was Ed Reed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, so we're going to move on now to our uh, third question, and it is um, slightly taken from a reader question, and this is going to be about the receivers um, and Zach Smith, and the question is from Dale Norville. At Tapioca Stroker. I think we've had, Love tapioca. had yeah, it yeah, from yeah. Tapioca Stroker before. He was actually... I think we should have him on the show to explain his uh, screen name. He was very crazy. excited about this. He wanted to know when we were recording again. Uh, if the wide receivers have another down year, what are the chances that Zach Smith would not be part of the team moving forward? Um, let's couple that with Ohio State put out all these graphics this week that they have had six receivers drafted in the last three drafts, and that is twice as many as any other school. And those six are Devin Smith, Evan Spencer, Braxton Miller, um, Curtis Samuel, Noah Brown, and who was the other guy last year? Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, the best one. <laughs> remember him? Do you remember that guy? <laughs> and so I, I forgot to, full disclosure. <laughs> so here's the thing is like we're currently living in a world where the receivers weren't good enough last year, but they've had – more talent draft. Like this is a, it's a double whammy depending how you look at it of like, look at all this talent they've had drafted, but have they really had great receiver play? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's an interesting it thing to talk about and I'll it, let you guys talk about it. I feel but, like, does it look bad for Zach Smith? I look at all this raw talent and I, look at all the production that they didn't have. I think bad is, I, I don't think it looks bad. Not bad. Okay. It, it's, it raises your eyebrows a little bit. It's not all good, though, because you can't you well, can't talk about in press conferences as Urban Meyer about how the production at the receiver position in the passing game isn't no is nowhere near where they need it to be, and then an hour later tweet how awesome your receivers are because of the draft numbers. I think those yeah. are contradictory, and obviously there's two different purposes for those two things. One is to promote for recruiting on the internet and to show that there's a chance that if you go to Ohio State, maybe better than other places that you'll be drafted. The other one is to tell the truth about the way the team is. And maybe those are two different things. Maybe we separate talent and production. But those two things haven't gone hand-in-hand with Ohio State's on-field results. I feel like we're just talking about, like, it's almost like you can break them up into two different positions. Like, the problem for Ohio State, it wasn't that Curtis Samuel wasn't good last year. Curtis Samuel was awesome last year. He was their best player. It's that... Four of the five receivers they were counting on last year weren't good enough. And like when they had Michael Thomas and they had Evan Spencer and they had Devin Smith, the receivers were good. Their passing game was good. It's good enough to win a national championship. So I don't know. I feel like it's like two separate conversations. Like that first group of receivers was good. They won a national title. And then the Michael Thomas was even still good in 2015, even though the offense as a whole struggled a little bit. He was productive. Curtis Samuel was productive. Like the only guy I feel like we're talking about is Noah Brown. Two of the six aren't even really pure receivers, right? They're, they're counting Braxton Miller and they're counting Curtis Samuel. And when you think of like Braxton Miller got drafted because he's like one of the top ten athletes. Like it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't it's even not include, like. It's not, yeah, but that's don't include part him in the conversation as giving a receiver drafted. He was drafted because he's an incredible athlete. And it, it's, it's it's a weird thing, and it's like we're picking apart almost. We can talk about Zach Smith. We're like picking apart the graphic because it's like on the graphic. Well, three of them are their best receiver got drafted each year: yeah. Devin Smith, Michael Thomas, Curtis Samuel. Their best, most productive receiver. All three of them completely different. Deep ball guy and a slot guy. And then Michael Thomas is everything you want from receiver in between. Mm-hmm. And then the other three guys, Evan Spencer is a great blocker and complete team player who I was excited that he got drafted, but he's already out of the league. Mm-hmm. Um, was never a big pass catcher as a receiver anyway. Braxton Miller, we went over. He's an exceptional circumstance. And then Noah Brown had one good game and then vanished and went early because he broke his leg early during his career. So yeah, it's and like was it, drafted like with 15 picks left in the draft. Yeah, so I mean it's it's great. I mean facts are facts. It's twice as many as any other school in the last 3 years. It does not mean 
that Ohio State's receiving situation is awesome. Clearly it doesn't because it wasn't, at least the last two years. So I think whenever we talk about this stuff, though, and so we'll, we'll move on. to We've talked about Zach Smith before. And when I wrote, and I can't remember when it was. It was, I guess it was early last year. Like the offensive coaches aren't good enough. And the three guys I singled out were Tim Beck, Ed Warner, and Zach Smith. And two of the three of them are gone now. So the coaching in the room, 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 I don't know. All you can do is sort of go by the play and go by the results. But that's not the only thing. And, again, Ari, I guess you, you can speak to this. Like, how what is Zach Smith like as a recruiter, and how much does that factor into his value I mean, I think that, that factors in – I would probably go as far in saying it's more important to this team than his on-field coaching. Is he the best recruiter? I mean, I mean he's everywhere. I mean, yeah. the guy's everywhere. I mean, he's connected to a lot of Ohio State's best prospects – and a lot of those have been receivers the last few years because one was Austin Mack and Ben Victor was a big get and Trayvon Grimes was huge and Tyjon Lindsay before he had that change of heart. I mean, he has been associated with some of their best recruiting gets, but like he's down in their most, I mean, who do we think? Florida's the most important recruiting territory outside of Ohio for Ohio State? Maybe Georgia is second? Yeah. Texas yeah. third? I think Florida. Maybe Texas and, and Florida first, are one. Though, right? yeah. But like, Florida's traditionally been first. Texas, I don't know if that's sustainable. Georgia is Georgia. But he's in charge of South Florida. And I don't think Urban Meyer would put somebody that he doesn't think is the best recruiter on his staff down in the most important area that's going to continue over the... Here's the one thing I will say. In 10 years, I don't know how things are going to look at Ohio State, but in 10 years, Ohio State will be recruiting Florida. I don't know if that's true about Georgia and Texas. The most, So I, I think that right now, the biggest value that that guy brings to the staff in Ohio State, and maybe he'd even admit it, it's not wrong, is bringing the talent to Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I just don't know. Especially because the production on the other side of it isn't there. Like, what is his number one value right now? Don't you can't no, possibly that, say that's what it is. I'm just wondering if that. I mean, is that is it okay to approach it that way? Is that does that is that enough to overshadow? But isn't that kind of like how not? how it is though? It's kind of like the I mean, best talent a, got drafted and the best talent got brought here by right. right. I mean, I think it's because just as a whole staff. I mean, you don't want nine guys like that. You don't want nine guys who are all recruit, no development. But they just hired some guys who are Coaching. haven't recruited very much, but should be great development because they've been in the NFL. You know, Bill Davis is not – Bill Davis is like all development, yeah. no recruiting right now, right? So, I mean, I think your whole staff has to have balance. And so we've talked a lot about it's a certainly – it's an older staff, absolutely. I think they could use a shot of youth. I was a little surprised that when they had – these openings, they lost 43-year-old Luke Fickle, and they replaced him with an older guy who had never been a college coach before instead of a 30-year-old dynamic rising star, which is what I would have done, and I think this staff could use that. this. And, of course, though, we're talking about a team that's, you know, second-best program in college football. So it's like, again, we're nitpicking this, but I do think absolutely Zach Smith has a role. But I also had an important role, but obviously but you also can see his when development the, in that room has not been good enough. And the right. development, when it's not good enough, is an issue. And I think it's a big issue. And I think talent yeah. only gets you so far. And they're always going to want to bring the best talent in. But I'm telling you, man, if you're not if you're not developing your guys the right way, you turn out to have a goose egg in a playoff game. I mean, the I, don't, guys, I don't think they can go through another year where the receivers aren't good. Like if you change your quarterback coach, change your offensive coordinator, you change the whole thing and the one holdover – is the receivers coach and they're not good again? I would be surprised if there's not a change. And it's like you have to scratch your head if Ben Victor and Austin Mack go another year where they're not really a major part right. of it. Then you got to start thinking what's going on here. Yeah, they need either the, the veteran guys need to be a lot better, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, um, or these young guys need to be ready to play right now. And here is my perfect solution mm-hmm. to this question: They delayed the tenth coach for a year. Is that right? Yeah, I think they can hire him in January. January. I mean, have the 10th coach and him be – go ahead. Hire, hire a receivers, receivers coach and, and then use Zach Smith as like the utility recording coordinator. Like special teams special coach, team coach slash recruiting coordinator. Yeah. Anybody in favor of that? I think that would probably yeah. be good for Ohio State. Yeah, I think so. I think I mean, Zach Smith would do it. Like it wasn't – He, he already a is a recruiting coordinator. 
Is this he, is he the title? Is I don't know. He has the title? a title. He had a title last year. I don't yeah. know if they switched I mean, it. Carrie like, had it at one point, but then I think yeah. I don't know right? if that. Re- I actually have tried to ask about that, and I don't even know if that's a real thing. It's a weird. Th- I don't think. It, I, I mean, think it's just a thing that means you get paid a little bit more money. Yeah, because it's like Tony Alford. Because Tim Hinton is the recruiting coordinator too now, right? No, no, well, it's a different thing. Though. Yeah, there's one of the there's like quality control, and then there's also like I mean, Pantone's the recruiting coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. We but got it some used bombs to be more thing. That. I mean, covering Trestle, covering a Tress, covering Trestle, when they had a recruiting coordinator, and like their recruiting coordinator was like the tight ends coach, John Peterson, who certainly was not out like talking about anything that they talk about today with recruiting. Um, there wasn't a Mark Pantone. You know, there was a guy who sort of. Um, Helped lay some groundwork and set itineraries and stuff, but you would go to John Peterson for stuff because it felt like, well, this is the guy who sort of is more dealing with the master recruiting plan. But Pantone is dealing with the master recruiting plan, and then whatever Zach Smith's other title is is fine. But as you were writing about Ari, with like the 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 way this front office at Ohio State has expanded, that might be that a good title for a coach. Doesn't really, I don't know that it means anything, unless it does, and we need to find okay, out. Okay, so what it means. I sat down with Pantone in his office, and we're going to give you the goods here because you're listening, and we love you because you're listening. In his office last week, and I'm writing a series uh, in the process of reporting and, and writing a series about the evolution of Ohio State's recruiting room and Pantone and all this stuff. I think a good part three would be, how did Ohio State recruit with all this stuff ten years ago? I didn't even think about that, but like Doug just brought it up, and it's just like... How much how much has it changed in five years since Pantone started is crazy. How much has it changed in ten when it was the previous regime? I don't even know how they did it. It's crazy. Jim Trestle's head would spin if you said the word general manager to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where's the phone cord? Can you hear me the phone it's right cord? Here. My phone's dying. Doug is like one around the room and I lost my train of thought. But you gave me a good idea. Did you hear the idea? I did. I liked it. I mean it's just I mean it's the same thing. It's like well, how did what do you Hayes recruit? It's like Woody Hayes like drove, drove past a <laughs> drove past a football field in the middle of Ohio and said that looks like a good kid over there and drove over and recruited. I don't know. I've been dying to ask Urban Meyer during Michigan Week for the past three years what it would be like in a world where there are no scholarship limits because the Woody Hayes didn't have them. I think I'm going to actually do it this year. Yeah. Side note. Yeah. So side note: if you see that story appear anywhere else, interesting. <laughs> Which you will. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to look something up. For part of our next question, and this actually comes again from uh, a reader. You can always tweet us at Bill Landis twenty five, at Ari Wasserman, and at Doug Lay Maurice. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Chase Kr eight asked, "What's the over under on points scored and points allowed per game by Ohio State in two thousand seventeen?" And I was going to go look up uh, what I'll look they up, did last year. I'll look up the offense if you want to look up the, uh, the Okay, defense. so we'll, we'll, we'll start the offense discussion first by saying that um, before the 2015 season, we were like talking about would they average 50 points a game, and then they didn't even score 50 points in a single game. So last year, um, they were better offensively. But again, you know, like it, we're going to get the national rankings here. A Big Ten team is never going to rank in the top five of this compared to what they do in the Big 12 and the style of play. And it's just it's just a different game in a lot of ways. So that's fine. That's how it goes. Okay, um, you want the offensive numbers? The offensive numbers, yes. Okay, so I'll just start for comparison's sake. In 2015, Ohio State was 28th in the country, 35.7 points per game. That was okay. the year we thought they were going to score 50. Okay. Last year, they were 13th in the country. 39.7 points per game. Okay. And who led it? Who was number one? Western Kentucky led the country at 45.5 okay. points what? per game. Who was like, who's the lead? Sorry, I said it was 39.4. Who led, them in power, who led the Power Five? <sighs> Top scoring team in the Power Five was Oklahoma, 43.9. Okay. And Ohio State was what? 39? 39.4. 39.4 last year and yeah. the year before was what? 35.7. So it's funny. You read all these, like, everyone keeps putting out their top 25s for next year. And whenever national guys put out their top 25s, I mean, they either had, like, a 10-minute conversation with somebody from Ohio State or they just read us or read whoever covers the team. So I was reading one today. I've read multiple ones 
talking about how improved the downfield passing game is from for this spring and like how what that bodes how that bodes well for Ohio State in the fall. And I'm like, how do you know? Based off of them, yeah. Because they they said said in the closed (laughs) practices that the downfield passing game looked good. Or because Dwayne Haskins, who at the moment is the number three quarterback, looked good throwing the deep ball in the spring game. (laughs) JT Barrett took like 10 snaps in the spring game. And honestly, I'm not buying the downfield passing game looks good until I see what's going on. I'm glad that everybody felt good and said great things about practice as they were throwing against a secondary that has nobody back from the greatest secondary in college football. So, like, whatever, bro. But I'm going <laughs> to... That bro is kind of, like, sprayed out, bro. <laughs> I'm going to preface my guess of how many points the game they're going to score with, like, I, 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 well, let me see it first. Did because you Kevin Wilson is not just sprinkling magic uh, Kevin Wilson dust everywhere. I think whatever, bro, might be a pretty cool like column for you. Like when you take that. something and it's just like when you tried the, you know, well, actually, yeah, whatever, bro, could be a good whatever stolen. Bro? Whatever, bro, because like bro. I was because you said that pretty like I got goosebumps when you said it. <laughs> Terry Pluto was saying this like it's like got to find like. Find something to make it yours, you know? So I've been th- thinking about, like, maybe doing something every week, like, what? why is Doug mad or something? Like, what? Be good. Yeah. But I, but I, think I don't think there's what- enough room on the internet for that one. <laughs> I think whatever, whatever, bro, could even, could really, the essence I is just, there. I, I, I don't, like, I'll tell you when something stinks, that works. Whatever, bro. Especially yeah. because you're an old white guy. Yeah. I am old and I am white. <laughs> um Okay, yeah, so but like I don't go ahead. What were you gonna no. say about it? I, I So anyway, I'm like I'm not throwing out like they're gonna score ten points more a game because they've magically fixed the offense because Kevin Wilson was here for a month and spring football looked great. So Reportedly looked great. Reportedly. reportedly looked so yeah, so I mean like do you guys think because really the question of this is are they gonna score like is the offense gonna be better? The one thing I are will say more is I think the three of us can agree on what you just said about we're not gonna anoint them as better. But I think the one thing that Bill pointed out in the spring game, and that was a fact, was that they seemed to be running a different type of route. I think there were more intermediate routes, more slants, more situations where receivers could catch the ball running. And that was, I think, clearly missing from last year's passing attack. And I think just identifying that issue and running different routes could potentially yield different results. Here's the one thing, too, about points per game is they dropped some bombs on some crap teams last year. Do you have the – can we get the like the game-by-game scoring? I'll do it. Because it's like they scored 39 a game last year by destroying like Bowling Green and Tulsa and Maryland and Rutgers. And yeah. so like – They scored like, 70 points in one game. There were 70, 40, 40, 50. 77. I mean that's – 77 against Bowling Green in the opener really does a, a long yeah. – Now they also lit up Oklahoma. Right. It was 40, 45 40, 40 points in the 40s and then 50 against Rutgers. And um, then they dropped 50 again on Maryland, right? In literally what was the well, worst game. back-to-back 63-point games against Nebraska and Maryland. Right. And then – I mean they did like – couldn't score against like Northwestern. Seventy-seven against Bowling Green, forty-eight against Tulsa, and uh, I did a, th- a little thing about the schedules and like Martin Jarman, who is now going to be the Boston College athletic director, said like Tulsa is the perfect type of opponent to schedule because they're kind of good. They win ten games. Forty-eight points is not like scoring seventy-seven against Bowling Green. Forty-five. That's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to give them credit, yeah. but forty-five against Oklahoma, they get credit for. Um, they scored 30 at Wisconsin. I think 30 at Wisconsin's good, but it it's overtime. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, like, the next two weeks, they lost to Penn State only 21, beat Northwestern barely by scoring 24, and then they got the 62 games, and then Michigan State was probably the worst offensive game of the Urban Meyer era. Right. When they scored 17 points to beat Michigan State by one on the road. Right. And then they scored 30 against Michigan, but double overtime. Right. And then, of course... Zero. So the score of the Michigan game at the end of regulation was what? I think it was. Was it seventeen? It was 17, 17, 17, 17. Yeah, seventeen seventeen. And they had and they scored all their points late. Yeah. So I mean, like they, so they scored seventeen against Michigan State, seventeen in regulation against Michigan, and got blanked by Clemson. Yeah. And we're gonna like. And those were the three best teams they probably played, unless you want to count points Oklahoma. A game. I mean, so they're gonna play UNLV. They'll put points on UNLV. They'll, They'll put, put points, points on, on Army. Army. They'll put points on Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma doesn't play defense. Like, I don't know if they're going to beat Oklahoma, but that's gonna, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Are we going to guess right now? Yeah. So, listen, so I'm going to say I'm going to say they're going to end up scoring fewer points per game than last year because I'm not going to count on a 77, which was an aberration, even against a crappy non-conference team. 77 is a lot. And I'm not going to count on dropping 62 in back-to-back games in the middle of the Big Ten Conference right. all of a sudden. So they scored 35 two years ago, and they scored 39 last year. Uh-huh. I'll say 37. But I'm not. I am not proclaiming. But it's a also possible offensive too. Fix. It's also possible that they could average 37 points a game and be much improved in the passing game. Yeah, they could be a much more effective, consistent if offense. It's 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, and not 70, 40, 20. I think 37 is a good guess because my initial inkling was to put it as the same or a little bit less. So I'll just say 39. Uh, that's the thing too. Or even and again, if when you play Michigan State, you score 31. Instead of seventeen, because mm-hmm. like know? that's like, what that's, you're you're yeah. you're taking away the credit from the seventy-seven that they put up against Bowling Green, and that was a huge inflation. But if Ohio State is improved, then you have to count on them scoring more than seventeen points in regulation against the better teams in their schedule too. Right. Do you guys have any idea what the high, their highest scoring average has been under Meyer? Like around what you like? What do you think it might 44. be? Forty-four. It's pretty good. What do you think of this? Forty. You're going to like, piggyback my guess because he yeah. gave it away. <laughs> it was 40, 45.5 in 2013. 2014, it was 44.8. So it's so maybe 45 and 44 and then dropped 10 so, points off of that the last two years. Yeah. Um, I'm with you guys. I, if they are God, at the offensive coaches sucked the last two years. <laughs> if, they're, throw that out if they're at 40... I don't think I'd be surprised for a lot of what you said, Ari. I think Kevin Wilson puts guys in a position to score. He scored a lot of points at Indiana. His talent here is immensely better. So if they score 40 points a game, I think that's out there for them. But I'm not going to guess that. I'll guess 37 like you guys did. And if they score 45 points a game or do something like that, then you can anoint Kevin Wilson as a genius. And, but, and, and let me just say this. And, and uh, I don't care. I'm going to keep saying it because I just got to prove it. That's all. That's fine. Just prove it. And they will. They probably will. But at the moment, I don't see Ezekiel Elliott. I don't see Michael mm-hmm. Thomas. I don't see Curtis Samuel. I don't see Carlos Hyde. I don't see Devin Smith. Right? So, like, that's great that Kevin Wilson is here. And obviously it's an upgrade over two years of poor play calling and poor offensive planning and poor quarterback coaching. I get it. It should be better. Coaches absolutely matter. They have mattered the past two years. But... I don't know. Now, if people are telling, you know, again, someone who in the mock draft had Paris Campbell very high in a first or second round and second said, round, oh, yeah. uh, people, at, uh, people at Ohio State are telling me this is the guy to watch, whatever. And, you know, I wrote a big story about Paris Campbell taking that Curtis Samuel role. Great. I think he's a really good, fast athlete who has not produced at all at Ohio State right now. That's just the truth. You can't argue that. I don't see it. So the game planning is great. I don't know who on Ohio State's offense scares any defense right now. Oklahoma's defensive coaches are starting to game plan for Ohio State right now. And when Oklahoma is sitting down and watching Ohio State film, and they're watching it, and Curtis Samuel's gone, and these other receivers are back, and Mike Weber is a fine running back, but he's not Ezekiel Elliott, and I don't think he's Carlos Hyde, and JT Barrett was throwing it all over the place the last month of last year. I am not watching that film being scared. And if you're going to score 40 points a game, you got to scare somebody. I buy that. You know, I, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they very well may have the big play kind of guys they had at 13 and 14 when they were scoring that. But whatever, bro. Whatever, bro. Also, the other <laughs> thing is they scored a boatload of points on defense last year. They did. They did. So, like, which goes into your, like, which goes into your offensive category, yeah. but it has nothing to do with your offense. So, just for instance, if they don't just like start racking up pick sixes again, did they have like seven last year? They had seven, yeah. Forty-nine points of defense is probably what responsible. I'm not good at math, but at least five points per game. Four point nine, no, four point one. Forty-nine divided by thirteen. All right, uh, all right. Speaking of defense, all right, we'll go to our last <laughs> question. Um, no, we got to guess uh, defensive, oh, defense. defensive points yeah, per game. Sorry, yeah. That's okay. All right, I have those numbers pulled up here. Um, they've been really good the last two years. Where are they at? Or they're like 
15 last 15 year? 15 the last. It was 15.5 last year and 15.1 the year before. Both were top five in the country. Want me to go? Who's their Who's Who are the best offensive teams they play outside of Oklahoma and Michigan? Penn State. And Penn State. Okay. Oklahoma, Michigan, Penn State. Who's their crossover? They play Nebraska. Year? Nebraska is decent at putting up some points in Iowa, which is not a great offense. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska could have an explosive offense, so I have to beat them. 63 to 3 or whatever it was like. So they just lost three secondary guys in the first round of the draft. Um, but we think their defensive line is going to be really good. The best yeah. in the country. Probably. They were playing Illinois. Yeah. So. Um, I'm going to – do you want me to just – Go ahead. 15 points. Stay the same. I think it will be – I don't know. Like They did lose a lot of people in the secondary, but I think that that defensive line – for how many people are returning, how advanced it is, and how fresh they're going to be able to keep people. And I think their linebackers are going to be really good this year. I'm counting on Dante Booker to be really good. I think Ohio State has to be one of the top five defenses in the country right now in terms of talent. And they are replacing three key players, obviously, that were all first-round draft picks in the secondary. But if there's one place on this team where outside the defensive line where they have options to find somebody... They've got a lot of options in the secondary. I think that they have a really good chance of like being able to maintain what they did the last few years defensively. Teams could not until they played Clemson. Teams could not throw the ball against them. Yep. And if you can't throw the ball, you can't score. To match the bar that Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker, Garyon Conley helped them set last year, I think is going to be really difficult. And that's not to diminish the talent they have on the back end of that defense. I just think it's not going to be quite as good. So I think that you'll see the points per game come up a little bit. But even if it's 17 or 18 points per game, you're still a top 10 scoring defense. They gave up 22 points per game when they won the national title in 2014. That's like if you're giving up three round three touchdowns or less per game, you're good enough defense to win a national championship. Yeah, I, th- I think they could shut some people out, some of these bad teams. Um, Army. I don't know. I mean, Penn State we know can throw the deep ball. We know Baker Mayfield's going to throw the deep ball and make some plays for Oklahoma. They'll put up some points. But, but, we don't know the yeah, Michigan quarterback yeah. system. I'm going to say it's going to be even better. I'm going to say 14 because I just think that defensive line against anybody who's not – if you don't have a really good quarterback, I don't think it's even going to matter how good the secondary is because I think the defensive line is going to put such pressure on you that you're going to have no time to do anything. Um, and they're going to throw picks if the coverage is halfway decent. Yeah, and they're going to force turnovers, and they're just going to be—they're just going to consistently be in third and long, second and longs because of the pressure they're going to get. And so teams are going to have to try to run on them. I mean, this is the same thing: we can't run wide because they have the speed to chase you down. You're going to have to run up the middle. But if the defensive tackles are better, if Draymond Jones is really good, um, Chris Worley at middle linebacker, you figure will be able to step in and fill the role that Raekwon filled. Um, you know, that's where you get them is you get them up the middle in the run game, but they're not going to be, I don't think they're vulnerable there. Yeah. So I think their defense actually might even be better statistically just because I think the defensive line just could maybe possibly do some things to opposing passing games that like we've never seen before. Okay. So I already said 15, you say 14. I'll say, I'll say 17 because I, I think that some teams are going to hit them for a couple big pass plays that didn't happen last year. Okay. I mean, Trace McSorley, again, I mean, if Trace, I don't, you know, you got a whole season ahead of you. Trace McStorley should be studying Ohio State defensive stuff right now. Yeah. Penn State's quarterback. And Baker Mayfield studying stuff right now. Oklahoma's quarterback. So, um, all right. We'll get to our last question. And Nick Saban just got a big new contract. What are the details of it? He's getting like $11 million. $11 million. $11 million a year. What's Urban making, actually? I was looking at the USA Today data- database from last year, and it was just over $6 million. All right. What should... Urban Meyer make. And this actually probably deserves a more in-depth and uh, detailed discussion. And I think probably this is something worth writing about later. Um, because there's a lot of things you can dig into with um, how much the football program makes and how much winning and popularity equates with how much more money you make. And then there's like the sort of the – it can be tangible – you can sort of figure it out, but the intangible thing of, as, as every school president always says, the football team is the front porch of the university. Yeah. And so you don't – the most important part of a house isn't the front porch, but it sure as heck catches your eye and makes you stop your car when you're driving by. 
Um, and so that matters. Whether it should or not, we can have another long discussion on that, but it does. We all know people who went to Ohio State because of their football thing. So how much should he make if Nick Saban is now making 11? And I think Jim Harbaugh made nine. Har- Harbaugh's like right around 10. Yeah. So they're the top two when Meyer's number three. And then as soon as we're done with this, pod- with this uh, podcast, we'll call Gene Smith and ask him when Urban's getting yeah. a raise. But I think he's worth every bit as much as every other coach in college football. I, I the, disagree slightly. The question is, is Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh worth 10 and $11 million? Right. I think he should be paid comparably to the best coaches in college football because he's one of the best coaches in college football. And if we're just doing it based on numbers, I mean, I think that that's fair, right? I mean, I don't know. What, what do you disagree with? That he should be paid as much as Saban. I think if you're, if, I and mean, it's splitting hairs. Yeah, no, and, and I, Saban's one. Saban's the best. Saban's the best. You're right. And then Orban just beat him in the national championship game and has had success against him. They're, I don't know the what they're playoff, right. but yeah. Right. Yeah. Saban's the best in terms of sustained success. I don't think anybody would even argue. Nick Saban doesn't have to, like, when Nick Saban has a down year, like Alabama's still playing for a national title. When Ohio State had a down year, they didn't play for a national title two years in a row. And Nick Saban did it at Alabama. So I think he's a little better. I, Harbaugh's like, Urban Meyer deserves to make more money than Jim Harbaugh. Yes, based on their track records in college. But I feel like Jim Harbaugh's job description was a little bit different than Urban Meyer's when he got hired, which is what's interesting. They, like, Jim Harbaugh was an NFL coach. They needed a savior of the program, and they needed somebody to rebuild. And I hope that he doesn't tweet at me now. But <laughs> He's listening. I do think that there's a difference between that. Sometimes you got to throw money at somebody to do something they might not have otherwise done in order to get them there. And I don't know if there's a distinction there, but I think it's an important thing to bring up. Because it's not just about how many games did you win. How much money is Michigan football being relevant, again, worth to Michigan? Mm-hmm. is probably a part of the conversation that doesn't have to do with how many times they went to the playoff. Michigan is a thing again. It wasn't three years ago. They had to pay that money to Jim Harbaugh. I think they would gladly repay him that if they could do it all over again. But I do think that Urban Meyer should be getting paid comparable money to all of the best coaches in college football. Because he's one of the best coaches in college football. Doug just scooted up seriously, so we're gonna. <laughs> here we go. Okay, so this is a, this might be a different view on this. So we did a series before last season, and what was the premise of the series we did about Ohio State football before last season? Oh, oh the indestructible series. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we said that Ohio State is the most indestructible program in college football for factors outside of coaching. So if you're indestructible. I don't know if you have to pay your coach the most because you're indestructible. That's Ari, different, but that's a different coach. question, though, isn't it? I could well, coach. Well, but for here's sure. the thing: Alabama, in the very recent past, lived with sucking. Yeah, we use it as an example in, in the industry. It was series. one of the <laughs> examples. They know what could happen if Nick Saban ever left, and Nick Saban had enough of a dalliance with Texas a couple years ago, and every time there's always a little woody, you know. that they cannot overpay him because they've lived it, lived it when it's bad. Michigan was dead. And the only person who could have brought them back was Jim Harbaugh. He was the candidate, the obvious candidate, and they got him. And they would have, for how down they were, they haven't beaten Ohio State yet. But where they are now compared to when he got there, they would have paid anything to get him. Ohio State had a terrible, crappy year. But they had a terrible, crappy year because of NCAA stuff. They didn't have a terrible, crappy year because they forgot how to coach and recruit football around here. Okay? So, Ohio State had a little taste of it to say, God, we better go get somebody. And I have said that I thought there would be a dark cloud over this program, and Urban Meyer lifted it immediately, and nobody else in the country could have gone 12-0 and that first year with Ohio State. And to then come in his first full recruiting class, recruit the class that turned into the national championship team in 2014, he could not have done any more here than he has. However, I think Ohio State is more situated to still be good, no matter who's here, that I get why Saban and Harbaugh make more. Even if, like, deservingly so. Like, if you said, if anybody did a list in college football, who are the best coaches in college football? Every list has Saban 1 and Urban 2. Mm-hmm. 
And you can't argue. That's not even worth arguing. You can't argue that Jim Harbaugh is a better college coach than Urban Meyer right now by any standard. But he might – I can understand why Jim Harbaugh is more valuable to Michigan than Urban Meyer is to Ohio State. And I can understand why Nick Saban is more valuable to Alabama than Urban Meyer is to Ohio State, which is why I can understand why he's not in the 11 $9 million range right now. Now, he probably should make more than what he's making. Right, and I wouldn't be surprised if a raise is because coming. it's clearly it's almost double. But I understand why. But Ohio State does not live in that world. And Alabama just released the salaries of every other coach. They have a coordinator making one point three million. They have a non-coordinator making nine hundred fifty thousand. Ohio State does not live in that world and does not want to live in that world right now. And they don't think they have to live in that world. They do not have a million dollar coordinator. Michigan is three. So Ohio State, I, I don't even know if like fairness or whatever, like it's it's a ridiculous because it has nothing to do with that. It's just what they choose to do. Well, j- and if you don't want to coach at Ohio State and you want to go make more somewhere else, then I think they'll go let you do that. But they have not lost an assistant coach to another job because of money yet, because this is a great place to work. This is a great place to be. I and so yeah, they're not. There is a part of Ohio State that is, we are Ohio State no matter what. So we're not going to pay necessarily top, top, top dollar because part of you being here is you wanting to be here at a great place. We don't have to get anybody to come here with money. It is, but like when you go back, because we were both on the beat when it fell apart, are you surprised they didn't slam dunk more money with him at the beginning? But I don't, I mean. Because I agree with every single word that just came out of your mouth. But at the time, you could have made the argument that it was the light version of what Jim Harbaugh needed to do at Michigan. Yeah. I mean, he was the same. Nobody else could have done what Urban Meyer did. He was the perfect candidate. You could have not drawn up more of a perfect candidate. It has been stated before and will be stated a million more times. It was a miracle that he was there. Oh, a two-time national championship coach. Which one? Grew up in Ohio, living uh, by the uh, teachings of Woody Hayes with Earl Bruce as his mentor. Who has yeah. two national titles? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's still young? Hey, which one was a bigger we'll take that guy? Which one was a bigger miracle? Because I just want to ask: Harbaugh at Michigan or Ohio State with Urban? I and think one only one had NCAA violations and one didn't. But like, yeah. the bigger miracle. I think that's interesting. I think it's Urban. I think it's Urban because of the perfect timing of that. Urban left. And Harbaugh had some of this too, but like Urban left Florida independent of anything in Ohio State. And it just so happened that he was like in his year off in between when Ohio State came open where Harbaugh was a little more of like a, you could see it was going south at Michigan. You could see it was going south in San Francisco. You could see how maybe these two things would line up, but it was more simultaneous. So it was more of a plan and less of a miracle, I think, where Urban Meyer, I mean, if Urban Meyer had just like, if the timing had been off and it was like, well, Urban Meyer already like, has been at Notre Dame for two years. He left Florida, took a year off, then went to Notre Dame. Well, he wasn't going to leave Notre Dame for Ohio State, no matter how great Ohio right. State was. Or if things were absolutely rolling at Ohio State, Les Miles ended up not leaving LSU when he could have left LSU, right? Because it was kind of hard to leave and it got screwed up. I mean, like that could have happened too. So that's why I think there's more of a miracle factor with Urban. Do you want me to this goes back to the point you were just talking about, Doug. I asked Gene Smith about some of this stuff, the, the million-dollar assistant stuff. Do you want me to read what he said to me? Yeah. And this was right after Michigan had announced that three of its uh, assistant coaches will be making a million dollars. And Gene Smith told me, um, it's going to happen here one day. We're going to do our best to make sure we compensate people based on market performance. Our market in the Big Ten has been stable. This will change it. When will it have its effect? I can't project, but it will happen here eventually. And then he said, we've tried to be sensitive to salaries in our league. The SEC is probably still ahead of everyone, which is true. It's been that way for five to eight years. They've had those single top-level people, not the aggregate pool, but the top-level people. The SEC has been there, but we all knew that eventually there would be salary creepage. Somebody was going to be first in our league. He made it to me sound like Michigan had forced his hand. That maybe he didn't want to pay million-dollar assistance, didn't feel like he had to, and now he might have to. I don't know who it's going to be. Because we don't have the contracts yet for the new assistant coaches. Kevin Wilson, in different circumstances, is probably a million-dollar offensive coordinator. But he doesn't really have any leverage to be that right now. Greg Schiano is a million-dollar defensive coordinator. Yeah, he is. 
And if he wasn't still getting paid by, like, whatever his contract is with Tampa, maybe he's not. He's not getting paid. Above, that's what, like, he signed his one-year deal he last year because he had one more year of being paid by Tampa. Okay, so he's going to make a million dollars this year? Well, of course Gene Smith wouldn't tell me that, but if he was, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. because. That, that, that's possible then. Yeah. And, and then, and again, I mean, like, Gene, Gene does, um, Gene is usually not first. I mean, he's not. He's not first on this, on doing the raises himself. Yeah. He's much more a react guy. Um, so the SEC is a bit of an outlier, but now that Harbaugh and Saban are both up there, I would not be at all surprised if Urban Meyer um, gets a raise before the 2017 season starts. would not be surprised by that. Um, okay. That'll do it for Buckeye Talk. Again, you can find us on Twitter. No at food this time, huh? I know. At Doug Maurice at Bill Landis 25. So we did the weird one last week. Not as many of you guys listened to it. Bill listened to it. He said it wasn't that good. Um, which might be just, true, just by our standards. You know. I mean, it was. I think fun this one to, was good. It was fun to do. Yeah. It might not have been as fun to listen to. This was more back in the flow of things. Um, we'll continue to try to get some more fast food talk. But we had a lot of good questions to get into. You guys can always send us questions that we'll try to answer. If you have topics you want us to discuss or write about, please feel free to do that. Again, you can find us on iTunes at Buckeye Talk. Listen, go right now if you have an iPhone, go do that, and if you have an Android, go to Stitcher. Get stitched up. And find Buckeye Talk on there. Stitched up. Isn't yeah. that their slogan? Get stitched up? It is now, yeah. Um, Whatever, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for Ari and Bill, uh, I'm Doug. Thanks for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.